So 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, verses 8 through 13. Hear now the word of our Lord. Elijah traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Now this story is what we call a classic. Right? This is one of those, um, I think it's one of those stories that still slaps. It's one that, uh, that, that, that uh, people still love to hear. Um, Elijah on the mountain of God, waiting for the word of the Lord. Uh, how uh, how uh, uh, first there was a, a mighty wind and the Lord was not in the mighty wind. Then there was an earthquake and the Lord was not in the earthquake. Then there was a fire and the Lord was not in the fire. And then, as the King James says, there was a still, small voice. It's a classic. I've been pretty excited about preaching it. You know, it's kind of one of those passages that I knew was coming up when we were talking about Elijah. And I, I, I couldn't wait to get to. But what is it about? What is it teaching us about God and our relationship to God? Is it about prayer? Oftentimes uh, the sermon is preached on prayer about how, um, how uh, uh, you know, instead of looking for great manifestations of God, you know, fire, earthquake, wind, all of these miraculous signs that, that we just need to still ourselves and learn to listen for God's whisper, God's voice that comes in silence. But sometimes we preach that it's about, you know, the small things in life. You know, what's not important are all these big earth-shaking events, but, but, but these little small nudges that we, we get from God from time to time. Maybe there's some deep symbolism, right? Maybe you could uh, make the earthquake mean something, uh, make the, the wind mean something, or make the fire mean something, and, and then say, well, none, none of that's important. What's important is... A still small voice. What is this story about? Sometimes a story so rich, you know, so uh, 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 so brimming uh, with with symbolism uh, seems uh, uh, 
it seems like you could go in any direction as a preacher sometimes. I think to really understand this story, you need a running start. <laughs> running start. You're going to see why that's funny here in just a second. <laughs> see, it was early in the morning when a knock came at the door. Elijah got up and uh, he was actually excited. He looked out the window, and when he looked out the window, there, uh, there were two guards and a man standing between the two guards. And the man standing between the two guards had a medallion around his neck, uh, uh, signifying that he had the authority of the king. Right? He was wearing a purple robe, but it was a short robe cut out right about here. Uh, uh, the bottom of his legs were dirty, and his sandals were worn out. And Elijah knew instantly what this man was. He was a messenger. It was his job to carry the king's message wherever he went. So Elijah woke up to a message from the king, and he knew what this must be about. They're here to thank me. The drought has ended. Rain is falling once again upon the land, and they're here uh, to congratulate me, maybe give me a promotion, invite me to be a, a prophet in the court of the king and queen, someone that they, uh, the, uh, that will turn to for advice in times of need. And so Elijah just swings open the door, and the messenger says, I have a message to you from the queen. The queen says... If you're still around here this time tomorrow, you're going to be arrested. You're going to put on trial for your crimes against Baal and the prophets of Baal. And then the door slams. It was a rude awakening. That wasn't the greeting that Elijah was expecting. After all, just days before, uh, 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 the Lord had triumphed over the prophets of Baal. And uh, as, the, uh, as, as this, the, the, the thunder began to rumble and as those first drops of rain began to fall, uh, Elijah turns to King Ahab and says, says, you better take your chariot now before it gets muddy and go to your palace and celebrate that the drought is ending. And Elijah was so exciting. Here's what I meant by your running start. He gets ahead of steam and he runs ahead of the chariot all the way to the town of Jezreel. It's a great victory. A victory for the Lord. The mission, which uh, this long three-year mission um, uh, uh, that, that, that Elijah has been given has finally drawn to a close. Surely um, uh, uh, the Lord has triumphed in such a public way Surely um, uh, Ahab and Jezebel are going to put away their idols and, and worship only the Lord from here on out. And now Elijah has received a slap in the face. They're doubling down on Baal. His mission was a failure. So Elijah runs. He runs about as far as you can go. He runs from all the way from, uh, from, from Jezreel and, and central uh, Israel all the way down uh, across uh, the border into Judah and all the way down to the southernmost town in Judah, Beersheba. And he stays there for a little while and, and then he begins to think to himself, well, Jezebel and his soldiers could find me even here. 
So he goes out into the wilderness. 300 miles he's run. He's tired. He's worn out. And he finds, uh, he finds this, uh, this overgrown shrub in the middle of the wilderness. And he lays down beneath the shrub. And he cries out to the Lord, I'm sorry I failed you. Enough of this. Strike me dead now. I'm no better to you than my ancestors were. Just let me die. And Elijah closes his eyes, expecting to never open them again. Have you ever had a rude awakening like that? Have you ever uh, felt like you were on top of the world on a, on a Sunday? This is pastors. On a Sunday, you're on top of the world. And then on a Monday, there's, there's something waiting on you to bring you down. Ever had a rude awakening like that? Have you ever felt like a miserable failure? Like all that you had set out to do in life has come to nothing? I'm going to take you from Jezebel to Taco Bell. See, uh, I was in my early 20s, and I got up in the morning actually excited for once to go to Taco Bell. And, uh, and the reason I was excited to go to Taco Bell is because that's where I worked. I don't know if I told you that part. I worked at Taco Bell, and I was excited to get to work that morning because uh, last night it finally happened for me. I got moved off of the line over to the cash register. And uh, it, it was, you know, um, someone didn't show up and, 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 and changes had to be made. And can anyone run the cash register? And I puffed out my chest and said, I'll do it. And, uh, and, and boy, I, I was snappy. I was, uh, you know, um, uh, I had good rapport with the customers. And, uh, and, 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 and I, was, I, was, I was getting the meals out. And I was just sure I was going to get to work. And they said, how about being a full-time cash register? When, when I pulled into work that morning, there were police cars waiting outside of Taco Bell. And a... Uh, a, a a police officer was there to interview me, um, not to tell me great job at the cash register. Um, it turns out that my cash register was $300 short the night before. $300 exactly. And $300 exactly usually means someone has stolen it. It's not an accounting error when it's $300 exactly. No, it wasn't me. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> but I couldn't convince the police officers of this. We went over my story over and over and over for what seemed like about an hour. I later found out there was a, a crooked manager at that store that, that had done it to a couple of other cashiers. I went home that day without my job. I had a wife and a new baby. <coughs> I had dropped out of school a year before. I've been fired from my job as a youth pastor. 
the church a year before. All my big plans in life were crumbling around me. I was in abject failure. I had it went to Taco Bell that day expecting uh, 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 to be hoisted up on everyone's shoulder and, uh, and, 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 and be given a new position. And now I was driving back wondering how in the world I was going to tell my wife what had happened. Have you ever had a rude awakening like that? Has your life ever suddenly went sideways? Have you seen all of your plans end in failure? And now a literal rude awakening. Elijah wakes up to someone tapping his shoulder. And the Hebrew naga can mean touch. It can also mean slap up the side of the head, right? It's got a range of meanings, right? And so we don't know exactly, but I think he's having his shoulder tapped. Get up, get up, says the voice. Elijah's weak and tired. His eyes adjust. At first, the figure before him is blurry. But then he looks and sees the robe, the medallion, the worn-out sandals. And his heart stopped. It's a messenger. But surely not a messenger of Jezebel down here. No No one in Judah knows I'm here. Who is this messenger from? The tap comes again, get up and eat. Suddenly, Elijah can feel his tummy rumbling, right? And he knows, um, uh, and, and he's hungry, and, then, and he can smell some good pig bread. And he looks, and just there beside his head, read it, just there beside his head uh, on some hot coals are, are the pig breads and a jar of water. So Elijah sits up and he has him some piga bread and, and some water. And the sun is setting. He's been asleep all day, but you know how it is when, when, when you're really tired and been through an ordeal, Elijah falls asleep again. Wakes up to another rude awakening. The messenger's tapping him on his shoulder again. He says, get up and eat, for the journey ahead of you is long. So Elijah gets up and he eats once more and drinks that water. And then the scripture says, under the strength of that food, he walks for 40 days and 40 nights. Must be some food. No ordinary food from no ordinary messenger. Think about that. But he walks through 40 days and 40 nights, and then he arrives at the foot of a mountain that somehow he knows deep inside of himself is Mount Horeb, as they call it in the north, or Sinai, as they call it in the south, the mountain of God. 
the mountain where, uh, where, where, where uh, after uh, uh, Moses delivered the people from captivity and they crossed the Red Sea and they wandered in the wilderness. They arrived at Mount Sinai and there was thunder and there was fire and there was earthquake. And they received the Ten Commandments. It was the same mountain that, that Moses um, uh, was uh, uh, after, uh, after the, um, the, the, the Hebrew children had, had rejected the Ten Commandments and, and, and had worshipped the golden calf. Remember, Moses smashes the tablets and then he, uh, he, he, he winds up having to go up the mountain to get a new one. And it's then that God has Moses hide in a cave. And he says, the glory of the Lord is about to pass by. You can see me going, but you can't see me coming because no one can see the Lord and yet live. It's that Mount Sinai. So Elijah, like Moses before him, begins to climb. When he gets to the top of the mountain, the word of the Lord comes to him again for the first time since before Mount Carmel. It says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah says, oh Lord, I failed you. I tried to carry out your mission. I was very zealous for you. But your people have rejected your covenant. They have torn down all of your altars. They have put all of your prophets to the sword. I'm the last one left and they're about to kill me too. I'm a failure, Lord. And the voice says, I'm about to pass before you just as I passed before Moses. And then there was a mighty wind, a wind so strong that it shook the mountains and broke the rocks and caused avalanches. But the Lord was not in the wind. And so Elijah remained in the cave. And then there was a great earthquake. The ground split, mountains split. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And so Elijah remained in the cave. And then there was a great fire, just like that fire on Mount Sinai. But the Lord was not in the fire. And so Elijah remained in the cave. And then, well, it depends on the translation. The Hebrew is dark cold. Either it means a gentle whisper or the sound of sheer silence, a faint nothingness, or I still like the King James, a still, small voice. Elijah heard it or maybe didn't hear it. We're not sure. But he knew the Lord was near. And so he takes his cloak and he puts it over his face because no one can see the Lord and yet live. 
And he goes to the, mount, to the mouth of the cave. And the Lord says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah says again, I'm a failure, Lord. I was zealous for you. I tried to carry out your mission. I really did. But your people have rejected your covenant. They have torn down your altars. They have put all your prophets to the sword, and now they're going to kill me too. And the Lord said, we're not done yet. We're just getting started here. See, I'm about to have you anoint three people. First, I'm going to have you anoint a foreign king. And this foreign king is going to execute my judgment against the house of Ahab. And then I'm going to have you anoint a man named Jehu. And Jehu is the person I'm choosing as his replacement. And the third person I'm going to have you anoint is a man named Elisha. He's the one that you will train to be your replacement. See, Elijah, you think you're alone, but I have reserved for myself 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal nor kissed him. See, what I think this story is about is something my mom told me once. See, I remember um, we were home for Thanksgiving. Um, I was still looking for a new job after having been fired from Taco Bell and it, and it wasn't going so great. And my mom asked me how it was going at Taco Bell. And um, well, I had to tell her. But I sort of said it like, well, I really didn't like working there. Um, it was a very toxic work environment, and, and so I just quit. And mom and dad said, oh, okay. And then later when we were alone, mom said, you know, Danny, I just want to tell you something. Your father and I are pretty disappointed in you right now. You've got a wife and a baby at home, and it's your job to support them, and you really shouldn't quit a job, you know, unless you've got something else lined up. And then I broke down. I said, Mom, I didn't quit. I was fired, and I told him why, and she said, well, why didn't you just tell us? I said, well, First of all, I didn't want you to think I stole that money. And she said, I know you didn't steal that money. I raised you better than that. But also, I just, I didn't want you to think I was failing in life. And mom looked at me and said, there's this still small voice, there's this gentle nudge. It was just like, she didn't know how profound it was and how much I needed to hear it. She said, oh, honey. You are too young to be failing in life. See, sometimes we think we're done. 
Sometimes we think we've blown the mission. Sometimes we think we've messed it all up. And what we don't realize is that what for us is a period, for God is a comma. It's a transition to the next part of the story. God always has the last word on our lives. Always. See, I think that's what this is about. After the fire and the quake and the wind and all that life throws at us and all the tumult and all the everything, all of the noise of life, God has the last word. His whisper is more powerful than all of the world's noise. God has the last word. I don't care if you're 99, you're too young to be failing in life. Because God decides when you're done. And God always gets the last word. That's just me. Everyone's got their own interpretation of this story. But I was reading an old rabbinic commentary. And here's what it said about this story. It says, the wind symbolizes life. Here today, gone tomorrow. The earthquake symbolizes the hour of our death, when people tremble with fear. The fire symbolizes the last judgment. But even after all of that, the whisper reminds us that God has the final word. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.